Hey, welcome everybody. This is Table Talk, your healthy theological radio diction. My name is Brent Kuhlman. I'm here with Pastor Clint Poppy. Who? Clint Poppy, of all people. Oh, man, what a clown. And Moline, who knows where he is? He's always gone uh, hunting, fishing, collecting money. Uh, he'll be back someday. Harvesting out of the garden. Yeah, he'll yeah, be and back he's, And he's missing a festive occasion today, Pastor. You know what today is, don't you? Go ahead, tell me. Today is our anniversary. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Today is the 100th program that we have oh, done. We and you did, you did hundreds and hundreds of Table Talks programs before Pastor Moline and I came along. But uh, when we started this Lutheranism 101, working our way through the uh, catechism, uh, today marks the 100th program of the uh, three of us together and in typical fashion pastor moline's not here with us not typical he's, miss, not. he's missing the anniversary and it tells you how important i or how i think these things are important i didn't even know where you're going with that when you said anniversary <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. no I, no party favors yeah. no no bells and whistles just uh grinding it out one more time typical cool but he's got so many so many irons in the fire he doesn't even know where he's at half the time you know yeah. so happy 100th birthday how about that how about well seinfeld had a hundred episode clips we maybe we should do that someday uh, that probably, I don't think the people could handle no, that. No, they couldn't handle it. They'd be it. driving in the ditch. Acts chapter 2, we've been rejoicing in, in the, the Holy Spirit, and Pentecost, and just again to review where we've been and where we're headed, is that I was making the point that from Acts 2, the miracle of Pentecost is that the third person of the Trinity comes and dwells among men. And I think this is, uh, it, it's it's worth mentioning over and over and over again. I, I, I just, I, I've, I've listened to, oh, I can't, I can't count how many Pentecost sermons I've listened to. And there's, I, I, can't, I can't think of one right now that's actually made this point. So I wanted to make this point because this is what the scriptures teach. Okay? And, so, te- and teach it clearly. So the revelation of God has come at Pentecost. And he actually dwells among men. So whereas the second person of the Trinity, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So now the third person of the Trinity, as you said the last time we talked, didn't take on flesh and blood, but is present, present among us in the church. And that's where I was talking. I was given, I was checking off a bunch of Bible passages to clinch this point, namely that whereas in the beginning in Genesis 1, God the Holy Spirit now no longer hovers over creation. Doesn't do that. And uh, he no longer only appears here and there for short moments of world history, but now with Pentecost, as Jesus promised. With Pentecost, the Holy Spirit now lives here on the earth, and he has a dwelling, he has a temple among men. And that's in the church. And it's also in individuals. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So also is the the church. So where is the Holy Spirit at work? In the church through the word, and the word attached with water, the word attached with bread and wine. The word written in the Bible. Okay, this is really important. So I want to push this even further. The the word attached to the words of your pastor as well. When he speaks the word of God faithfully. Yes. 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 Exactly. He who hears she hears me. Uh, he who hears you hears me. And Jesus says in John's Gospel, John six, that the words that I speak are spirit. That's capital S spirit, and they are their life. So 
I asked you the last time we talked, you know, if somebody ever asked you, Clint, are you full of the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. And then, of course, the next question that people would ask, well, how do you know that, Clint? You must have quit smoking, obviously. Or maybe you don't drink as much as you used to. Maybe you've even got well, your, well, your... I certainly did not quit smoking. I <laughs> guarantee you. I don't drink as much as I used to, uh, but that has nothing to do with uh, my personal piety. Uh, maybe, you, I would... maybe you've quit cursing. Maybe you've stopped that. Well, I'm, I probably curse under my breath more than I ever did before. And maybe you've made promises to do better, you know. Um, you know, once in a while, especially being more patient on the fishing boat. But I would... By the I, way, we're not against that, by the no, way. No, of course but, not. Uh, is that evidence that you're no, full of I Holy would, Spirit? I would, I would respond to you August 31st, 1958. That's when you... August 31st, 1958. That is a red-letter day in the life of Clint Poppy. That's the day I was baptized. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, That's where God gave you his divine and saving name. You were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And with that name, access. Yeah, yeah. I don't don't think we can emphasize that enough, that, that access by the by putting his name on me uh giving me access full and complete the temple curtain is torn access full and complete to all the gifts that god has earned and freely distributed to me now i want to have some fun because you you phrased it a certain way and i want to have fun with that and maybe we can remind ourselves to maybe brush our teeth and maybe speak even better you said on that date in august what year was it Eisenhower, yeah. 1958. You, well, how did you say it? I, I was baptized? Yes. Yeah. No, it, it is a historical fact. Yes. Historical fact. That's very good. Now, it's interesting. I'm just going to have fun with this. I'm gonna, yeah. I know where you're going. Okay. That's okay. So if I said to you, I was married, what, what might people oh, think? Oh, yeah, that you're no longer married. Right. I might be divorced. Oh. I might be a widower. That is a that is a uh, that that is a uh, great. Now, if you said I was married on such and such date, such and such year, in such and such county, or such and such church, that would be emphasizing the historical fact that it actually took place, right. and that you're not just shacking up, right? But by saying I am married, as I am baptized, there we go. Yeah. That that emphasizes the continuing nature and relationship that uh, God has created. So on the one hand, you can say, I was baptized. On the other hand, you could even answer it and clinch it more and say, I am baptized. I just wanted to have fun with it. And again, that's a, that's a both and, and I think that is a, that connection to marriage. Um, you know, sometimes I joke around. My wife doesn't always appreciate my humor, but sometimes I'll introduce her as, uh, "Oh, this is my first wife, Barb," and uh, she just she just cringes. And it's true, it's accurate, it's clever. You know, the first like three hundred times I did it, it was funny. It's not funny anymore, but it implies if you have a first that. There are second or yeah. third or fourth yeah. or whatever, and so uh, what becomes what becomes a joke is really not funny, really not funny. Now let's, this is my one and only. Let's get back to Acts because I I was making the point that the miracle of Pentecost from Acts two is that the Holy Spirit now dwells on the earth among men in the church through the Word and the sacraments. It's very interesting that Acts two 
we'll get to back we'll get back to Peter's sermon what he preaches because I want to talk about that but after Peter preaches you remember his sermon cuts these people to the heart and they ask him now what should we do and again I'm doing this to show you the miracle of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit now dwells on the earth among men and how, what's what's one of the ways he does it not only through the preaching of the gospel of course but in Acts 2 towards the end of the chapter what should we do Peter says we'll be baptized which is middle passive voice, which means let it be done to you. Um, be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you, by the way, which matches Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, make disciples of all nations. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy, Holy Spirit. And this, is, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. My point again is, Every baptism is Pentecost, a little Pentecost, if I can talk like this, whereby the Holy Spirit now dwells in that ba- the baptized person. In me. Because the Holy Spirit gives that person his name. And when, when whether it's the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit, each person you, is now dwelling in you because you've been given the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He dwells. Pentecost for lack of better terminology, is extended. I know that's not the best way to say it, but you understand what I'm trying to say here. The miracle of Pentecost continues. It wasn't just a one-time thing, but when Jesus promised in John 14 that he will be with you and be with you forever, it, it happens in your baptism. It's extended in the same way that when you, when you throw a rock or a pebble into the water, the ripples extend out okay. from the center. And, and again, every picture, every analogy breaks down at some point in time. But you see that you see that ripple going forth as it is extended in the same way that the gospel is extended to the four corners of the world. Pentecost is extended every time someone hears the word of God and believes. And, and I'm glad you said that. I want to get back to more baptism passages with the Spirit here in a minute. But I'm glad you said, because... In Acts 2, the people from all over the world hear the gospel preached in their mother tongue. So every time you come to church and you hear the gospel preached in your mother tongue, the miracle of Pentecost is taking place. People don't think about this at all. Seriously, and I want to help them because this is such joy here. And maybe that's one of the reasons why Lutherans get the knock or the crit- criticism that uh, they don't understand Pentecost, they don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they denigrate the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're just doing it. And without any fanfare, we're just preaching the word, administering the sacraments. People are hearing the word of God in their mother tongue. They're going home. They're sharing it with their family, their friends, whatever. That that miracle of Pentecost is extended. We're not articulating it or emphasizing it. We're just doing it. Yeah. So back to the, the connection here between the Acts 2, Holy Spirit, dwelling, baptism, Acts two thirty eight. Um, you remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's verse 11, when Paul says, now such were some of you, you know, like you were greedy, you were drunkards, you were homosexuals, etc. You were thieves. That's the way some of you were. But then he says, now you were washed, which is baptism talk. Um, you were sanctified. By the way, you were washed. Paul talks like this in Titus 3, more on that in a moment. You were washed. You were sanctified. That means holy. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, you see. And you were justified. How? In the name 
Think of Acts 2.38, be baptized in the name of Jesus. So you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There he is, dwelling. How? When you were washed. Notice there's the were language, but the point is made. That's he's referencing them to their historical baptism. Now, I mentioned Titus. So you remember... Um, Acts twenty two sixteen, where Paul recounts when he was baptized by Ananias. And Ananias told him, what are you waiting for, man? Get up, be baptized. It's passive voice. Let it be done to you. Be baptized uh, and wash away your sins. Wash away your sins. There's the word verb, washed, in Acts 2, 6, 22, 16, now in 1 Corinthians 6, and then in Titus 2, same author, Paul, you were washed, okay? God, God saved you, Paul says in Titus 3, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, where would have Paul learned that? Well, from the Lord Jesus, who told Nicodemus that to be born, you, to, to enter into the kingdom of God, to be given the kingdom of God, you have to be what? Born again or born from above by water and the Spirit. It's amazing that that text that you just read from Titus is the appointed epistle reading for Christmas for, Day. for either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, depending on what series you're in, yeah. connecting the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ with the gift and the outpouring of the Holy and Spirit. And your new births. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Uh, we'll come back. There's more meat on that bone. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Hey, welcome back to Table Talk, your healthy theological radio addiction. Welcome back, Clint. I'm glad you could you could stick around. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100th episode. Yeah, 100th episode. Glad let's, you could stick around. Let's cheer. You know, let's let's push all this for even more. What we we're talking about before the break. I mean, so the Holy Spirit in in the beginning is hovering over the creation. The new creation begins when Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it continues in baptism, whereby you're given the Lord and giver of life, the Holy Spirit. And so what's, what's interesting is that with, with Pentecost and with baptism, uh, with the preaching of the word, absolution, Lord's Supper, um, you've got the end times taking place. So, you know, the forgiveness of sins delivered in the word and the sacrament is like the judgment, the last day judgment come ahead of time. So when the last day actually comes, okay, you'll, you'll see with your eyes what you always heard with your ears. By the way, when the, when when the Bible has this word spelled F A I T H, that is the new creation. Do you realize? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I was asked by one of my Sunday school classes. Uh, we did a Zoom thing with one of my Sunday school classes, and one of the kids. This these are kids like that are going to be in fifth grade, and one of the questions was, uh, Pastor, how come we don't see any miracles today? And I had to tell them, well, every time you come to church, there's a miracle. Believers, faithers, that's a new creation. That's a miracle. Anytime you see a baptism, that's a miracle. God is at work. The Holy Spirit is among us, creating life from death. Okay? Now, 
So, well, just, just before before I, I hate to do this when you're on a roll, but you know when you made that connection to the end times, we did 40 episodes here on the end times. But um, that that sermon from Joel that Peter quotes in Acts two is all about the end times, the end of the world, the, the day of the Lord, the second coming. It's all about judgment day and these living in the end times, and that is where. Uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pulls those four verses out and preaches them on Pentecost Day. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. That that solidifies that this is end-time stuff that's going on. Yeah, it's begun. And, or as one professor that I had said, uh, fulfillment but not without remainder. And that's why Pentecost, remember, I, I'm, I'm doing this again so that people you have this under their belts. They'll never forget it for the rest of their lives. The miracle of Pentecost is that the third person of the Trinity now dwells among men, as Jesus promised to John 14. Now let's, so this is a, for lack of better terminology, this is a foretaste of the end uh, or some of the truth, namely uh, the promised new creation is fulfilled at Pentecost, but it will finally and fully be fulfilled when, as we are told in the book of Revelation. Listen carefully. This is Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then that, that's the forever bit. Covenant the, talk. The, the final. So when we talked about forever with John 14, Jesus, see, there you have it. So that's the both and bit of it, now and forever. We, we don't see it with our eyes yet, but on the last day, we will. And the book of Revelation teaches this quite clearly because let's not forget the book of Revelation is a revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit dwells with us now. We, we see it by faith in the Word. In the end, we will see it with our eyes that God actually dwells with us, that he makes his home with us. But by the way, another side note, brothers and sisters, let's help, let's help our non-Lutheran brothers and sisters in Christ talk better. So what do I mean? Most Protestant Christians tell us that we need to give our lives to Jesus. We need to give our hearts to Jesus. Now, the Bible really never talks like that very much at all. Instead, it talks about how God gives his life, how God gives his heart to us, how he gives us his name, how Jesus gives us his body and blood, how he gives us the Holy Spirit. It's a whole different matrix. See, Christianity is not so much about what we give to God. It's about what God gives to us, namely himself and everything that he is, whether it's in creation, in redemption, or it's in sanctification. See, and this is, I think, uh, part of the beauty of Luther's talk when he, Luther, the way Luther talks, when he talks about this great reversal. And we give God our unrighteousness, our sins, or whatever. He is the gift giving God. He gives us his life, his salvation, his blood, his body and blood to eat and drink. And what has happened in so much of Protestant Christianity, especially in America, is we have reversed the order. We have like a double backflip reversal here. We have reversed the order. We have to give something to God 
to appease him or make his salvation complete or whatever, uh, we've got to take the initiative. And everything in Scripture teaches just the opposite. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gives, and then we, after we have graciously received the gifts of God, we respond with lives that have been holied by the Holy Spirit. You know, there's one thing that God does want from us. There is. Okay. Spelled F-A-I-T-H. Amen. That's what he wants. He wants us to trust him, what he gives us, and what he does for us. And that's as radical a statement now as it was when Luther said it and got excommunicated from the church over it, when John Huss got burned at the stake for it, when the disciples were all martyred for it. It's as radical and scandalous a statement now as it has been since all the way back in the Garden of Eden did God really say this is a scandal, this is an affront, and this is why it must be taught and proclaimed till the end of time? Now, I have some things I want to I say, some, tie up some loose ends. I know we've, we've plowed this ground before from Acts 2, but it, it bears repeating. I want to repeat that in Acts 2, 1, they're all together in one place. I want to repeat this theme because I want to push another theme that's going to flow from it. Okay. okay. So just hang on tight, folks. I hope I can get this done before we end our program today. But in Acts 2, again, they were all together in one place. We observed from Acts 1 on Ascension Day, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. So a prerequisite for Pentecost, all together, is also a consequence of Pentecost. Now I want to say this again so that people understand what I'm doing here. A prerequisite for Pentecost was what? They're all together in one place. The prerequisite for it is now a, also a consequence or a fruit of it. You know where I'm going with this, I don't do. you? What am I, what are you? I'm going to see if you're picking up the dots. What is it? Church. Well, fellowship. Church. The, the fact that we uh, do not neglect the gathering together of their saints yes, uh, yes. Uh, as uh, we read in the book of Hebrews. So the, the prerequisite then becomes the fruit of it or the consequence or the work of the Spirit. The desire to gladly hear and learn the Word of God with your fellow believers. So in Acts 2, since we, we've been just rejoicing in Acts 2, let's, let's read verse 46. Acts 2, 46. Here's the fruit. And they were day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes together see what i'm see where i'm pushing absolutely. this absolutely okay so and again to review if you've got your small catechism remember how it works the third article's explanation he's called the holy spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts etc and in the same way he calls gathers enlightens and sanctifies the whole christian church on earth and keeps it with jesus christ in the true faith. So again, you don't when you go to church, you don't sit as a private individual. Now I know you think that, but you need to get over it. You need to repent of that. If that's what if you go to church and you think you're there only as a private individual, you better learn your scriptures. <laughs> let's wake up. Or as Paul says, let's grow up. You're a, you're a child with this regard. Now it's time to grow up and be an adult. Yeah, this okay. me, this me and Jesus theology is very infantile. So you don't you don't go to church and sit as a private individual, having your own little private devotion, but rather individuals are gathered together. That's what church is. So they're they're there together of one accord. 
They hear together ears. They hear together the word of God. They receive together the word of God, Christ's body and blood, etc. They praise and they pray together in the confession of the one true faith. Now that brings me up to another point, what I wanted to push, is the unity of faith gives birth to something else from the scriptures. The unity of faith, which the Holy Spirit brings about, brings about a unity of love. And so here's how you diagnose when things are going wrong in the church. When the unity of faith is missing, then the unity of love is going to missing. Or when you have the unity of love missing, guess what else is missing? The unity of faith. This is why Lutherans are so sticklers on this. And uh, it, it can be a distorted understanding of what love is, how this lack of love manifests itself. It could just be like uh, saying, uh, you know, God is love and so we can't call sin, sin. Uh, that is a perversion of love. That's a distortion of love. And that comes about when the faith is lacking, uh, the connection to God's word is lacking, so let's push and vice versa. It. Let's push it. So in, in the Missouri Senate, when there is such a, when people observe that you're not loving one another, there's no unity in love. Well, could it be that there's no unity of faith? I'm just throwing that out, okay? And vice versa, okay? So now what's interesting is if you've observed the Eastern Orthodox Church, watch how this works. This is a really good thing that the Eastern Orthodox Church does. I like this very much. We, we might consider adopting this in the Missouri Synod. Not so that we can become Eastern Orthodox Christians, but I think this is a very good thing from which we can learn, making the biblical point. In, one of the, in, the, in the divine service in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the pastor says this, let us have love for one another that we may with one accord confess the faith. And then the choir sings in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then the entire congregation says what? The Nicene Creed. You see the connection? Absolutely. See, they, they, they've got that right. We, we need to learn from them on that particular point. No, and I, and I think that is, uh, you know, they're, they're just basically saying and singing a God-pleasing rubric out loud. Right. That is a wonderful pref- preface to any of the three ecumenical creeds. Now, finally, before we say goodbye today, it's interesting. Have you ever noticed, you Lutherans out there or any Christians who are listening to the show, when you go to church, how, how rarely we pray to the Holy Spirit? Have you noticed that? I think there are two of the colics out of, in the one-year series. That's what I'm most familiar with. Two of the colics out of the 52 Sundays in the church year that are specifically addressed to the Holy Spirit. And we sing a hymn on Pentecost usually that Luther wrote. It's 497 in the Lutheran service book, Come Holy Ghost, God and Lord, which I always give my congregation uh, as an assignment. This is their prayer all during Pentecost that you pray this hymn. But I make, I'm just going to make a general observation and we'll say goodbye. Is that could it be, because we don't pray to the Holy Spirit very often, could that reflect something going wrong? Namely, what we've been talking about for a long time. Do we really believe that the third person of the Trinity is God? <laughs> of course we do, but our, our prayers should reflect that all the more is my point. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, stay Lutheran, my friends. We'll talk again. <laughs>